0: Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company. We're a movement of artists and patrons who believe in the power of beauty to evangelize our culture. And we're so pumped you're here. Everybody, welcome back. In just a few moments, I'll be sitting down with Father Ryan Adorsian. This is episode three in our Summer 2021 bonus series, all about C.S. Lewis. It's been a real joy so far. We covered some pretty amazing ground a couple of weeks ago on just the life and the the significance of C.S. Lewis. We read a little bit from one of his most famous essays, The Weight of Glory. Last week, we talked about the horse and his boy. And just this incredible privilege that it is to be a Christian aware of God's constant protection and providence, in the same way that um, what was his name, Father Ryan, the boy Sosh-ta? Shasta, 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 and the way that Shasta, Shasta, and like the way pasta. that it, see if you can't tell, Father Ryan is even here for the intro of this episode. Hello. In every episode, hello, hello, and yeah, the way that Aslan was constantly coming in and out. But yet never really out at all, constantly protecting and guiding and moving forward, the horse and his boy, the boy and his horse. And today we're not going to talk so much about literature. We're going to dive into some of the theology and really more properly speaking apologetics, I think, of C.S. Lewis and his most timeless of all works, the one that will probably be read even hundreds of years from now, and that's of course Mere Christianity. So in just a moment, Father Ryan and I will be back. Cannot wait to journey through some of our most favorite excerpts and key concepts in this great book. But for now, enjoy Summer Snow, a single released by Dawson Hollow in 2019, available everywhere music is streamed.
1: Color red inside our- Dark and pout, rains in me My clothes are wet, but I still see you
0: Father Ryan, welcome back. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Great to see you again. I uh, know. Here we are yet again in the Love Good studio in Tampa. Really, we're 45 minutes west of Tampa right now. The two of us are enjoying some, some very nice cold brew, nitro brew Guinness. I don't really know how it works.
1: I don't either. But all I know is I don't like cold brew, but I, I like that.
0: Good. So, whatever it is. And I think typically our our episodes... You know, recorded after lunch, or certainly recorded now after a half beer, half coffee. It can be a bit dicey. Yeah. But here we are. I'm not afraid. I I don't think C.S. Lewis would disapprove.
1: No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. He might say it's a bit early in the day to be doing what we're doing.
0: But who who knows what time it is? Yeah, that's true. Always five o'clock. It's seven thirty in the morning, Jimmy. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding, everyone. That would be a bit early. Actually, before we dive into mere Christianity, I would love to hear. Your perspective on the Inklings, why they met at a pub, what it was like to be a part of a a group of friends like that. They weren't just literary partners and and critics, you know, of each other. They weren't just trying to sharpen each other's craftsmanship. They were really friends, kind of like you and I. Neither of us would dare compare ourselves to the Inklings. Not even close. You haven't released a book ever, but you're always working on a book or working on an idea towards a book, right?
1: Yeah, that day will come. Then <laughs> you can hear the discouragement in my voice. We're we're working on one now,
0: actually. We, I, <laughs> a royal we. You told me actually a couple weeks ago that C.S. Lewis wrote his first book, and I, I can't remember the exact year, but it was, he had to have been thirty eight. Nineteen thirty six, I think. Yeah. And you said he was born in eighteen ninety eight. That's right. So neither of us have hit thirty eight yet. That's right. It's a lot of hope for us.
1: Exactly, and I think that I. I haven't even hit 30 yet. So You're I'm still trying 29. to. I'm 29. Yeah. I'm only just 29. Crazy. Two weeks ago, I turned 29. So anyway, yeah, it's in the works, but we'll see whatever happens or comes of it or whatever. It might get thrown to the scrap heap. You have to give yourself permission to have a really terrible first draft. Mm-hmm.
0: And once you can have that, then you can write anything. Do you love to talk about it, by the way? No. Okay, great. No, it will be on the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you that. Wasn't there a moment there where there could have been a book about C.S. Lewis as well? It it may or may not be C.S. Lewis and the Holy Spirit. Okay, great. Time will tell. Time will tell. That's really great. So tell me about the Anglings. What do you know about them?
1: Well, I don't know very much about them, to be honest with you. But what I want to comment on is exactly what you just said, that when they were there at the pub, they were not there as professors at Oxford. They were not there as writers, primarily. They were there as friends, going out for drinks together. But friends doing what friends do best, which is sharing the work of their lives. So you have to believe that as friends who, who were writers, well, of course they would discuss their writing. You know, As friends who were teachers, well, of course they would discuss their teaching. If they had happened to be architects or engineers or something, then they would talk about the buildings that they were building. But they were not there as a book club. They were not uh, the some organized literary criticism group they were friends at a pub after work and friends at a pub after work for the sake of uh, nowadays we see so much like i'm here because work is over and i need a drink you know and there's something to say about celebrating the, the work being done nowadays we're seeing a lot of things from teachers who have survived an unbelievable school year so good job teachers but especially people our own age we don't go out in the same way I think the Inglings did. So they're out to be with each other after work, to be with each other, to know each other, to share with each other, and not for the sole purpose of escaping work, but they've chosen to go toward a moment of leisure. And I think
0: that that's a very, very important distinction to make
1: Mm.
0: about what they were doing and who they were. Mm. You were even saying at lunch today that, there's something about obviously the ocean and just the slower pace of things outside of a city. You've been able to relax more, perhaps leisure better, in these last 24 hours than living in the concrete jungle. The right?
1: concrete jungle, coming yeah.
0: out of just the busyness and all the responsibilities of your day to day life as a parish priest. I think that's what Love Good has increasingly become for me. Is this place where leisure is constantly ah talked about in some cases protected you know, would we be hanging out right now if it wasn't for this podcast? Hopefully we would be. Hopefully we'd be talking about big ideas and sharing life together in common and and being those intentional friends that do share, you know, not only their work, but but their very selves, you know? But the reality is because of now we living as, as far apart as we do, I'm grateful for the excuse to have some intellectual leisure, to sit down at the end of a very, beautiful challenging exhausting fulfilling school year and you just kind of kick back in shorts and a well not quite a t-shirt you know but you with the view of the water behind you me with the guinness in front of me. i mean this doesn't happen during a school year during a an intense work day obviously right. and mean, right. i think lewis and tolkien there would have been more integration there wouldn't have been nearly the distinctions perhaps that i have between work and leisure and family and colleagues and I don't know. Sometimes that's very helpful. Sometimes those things protect you. Those boundaries protect you. But I also think there's something wonderful about the idea of a a seamless transition between work and leisure and prayer and family and friends and community. It's just called
1: life. Yeah. Life well lived. You know, we see our leisure as an interruption of life, you know, but it's not. It's just life. Work is life. Leisure is life. You're living, Mm -hmm. you know, and living requires both of those in Not necessarily identical measure, four hours of work, four hours of leisure, but in an equal measure, you know, the kind of leisure that refreshes you so that you can be attentive to your work and the kind of work that is motivated by the desire for leisure, Mm -hmm. a true leisure, you know, and not escapism. That's some, I mean, that's not what the Inklings were doing. And I think like that's, yeah, I'm not, again, (laughs) we're not the Inklings, me and you, but there is something similar in what they did and in what we do. And I'm grateful for it because, you know, I love C.S. Lewis and I read C.S. Lewis in my free time. And I teach C.S. Lewis in my classes for the seminary.
0: Mm.
1: My anthropology class for, it's for lay leaders in the Archdiocese of Chicago and in Diocese of Joliet. The only homework I give them for anthropology is the Chronicles of Narnia. Wow, That's all we read all year. I mean, they might read packets and stuff during class, or we might, we'll talk about other stuff, certainly. But everything you want to know about anthropology and about the Christian vision of life, you'll find in the Chronicles of Narnia. So, but that's work. You know what I mean? But this, Tampa, Sunny Day, Nitro, Cold Brew, Guinness, whatever this is. What'd you have for lunch? uh, Quesadillas, my friend. I haven't had those in such a long time. Looks good. Podcast, like the podcast is the fruit of that work. Do you mm. know what I'm saying? Good, good so way I, of saying. Yep. I didn't, they probably can tell for the last episodes. I'm not really well, well prepared for this. This is, but this isn't something that you said, Hey, come on to the podcast. Cause you're an expert. You know, no, this is just the fruit of my love of my joy of reading CS Lewis and my free time of teaching it, of, of getting to know him over these years. And now we're sharing it together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I love it. And that's leisurely. That's leisurely you know. Mhm. Now if this was some podcast to promote a book or to really dive deep into the nuts and bolts of Lewis's thought and you know, I think we talked about in The Horse and His Boy that Lewis was always writing about commentaries on on political life at the time or religious life at the time and there's a lot of truly anti-imperialist notions in The Horse and His Boy that we could have talked about. But that's not leisurely. That would have been a scholarly dived in and then we would have had to prepare. So I'm happy for this, this sort of laid back chance to do it.
0: Am I right in calling mere Christianity his perennial work? Do you think that's the one that will be read no matter how history shakes out in a few hundred years? Yeah, I think it's the one that he's
1: the most famous for. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, remember we talked about in the very first episode that a lot of people associate him only with, like, as a Christian theologian Mm -hmm. or a philosopher, and it's because of mere Christianity that he has been. So, it is his most well-known work, I would say, besides The Chronicles of Narnia, but in terms of something that's more nonfiction or apologetic, for sure,
0: yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I recently started listening to it on Audible. It's been 10 years since I read it. This is Audible! That's exactly right. I love that guy at the beginning. Give us the lowdown. What what should one expect, is, you know, especially if they're like you, picked it up at some point, maybe found it a bit, I don't know, hard to, to manage and hard to read alone and a little bit too philosophical, you know? What motivated you to dive back in? What was necessary for you to dive back in and really love it when you picked it back up in college?
1: I just picked it up again. I don't know why I did. I was happy I did. Honestly, mine, my version is an orange cover, and then a book with an orange cover is going to be enticing no matter what. <laughs> but yeah, it just was there, and I was bored, and I picked it up, and it, it made sense to me after having now lived a life of prayer and study and, and kind of tr- changing the way a bit. Not, not really what I think, but the way I think. It lent itself, I think, to a better understanding of it, but also to come to a better understanding of the development of mere Christianity. The book, not the... religion or a way of life, but the development of it and how it, where it came from, how it started, who he was really talking to. The book that we think of today as mere Christianity was published actually in 1952, Hmm. but it's based on and edited from this series of radio talks that C.S. Lewis gave between 1941 and 1944. Uh, What was going on uh, again? uh, The Great World
0: War two yeah the other world war which is crazy when you think about I, i can't imagine what that was like for that generation to have just come out of the war that was meant to end all wars only to have another one that was even more catastrophic
1: yeah worse can't imagine so he's talking during the second world war on bbc and basically he's offering a case for christianity We think that today, oh, you know, Christian culture is really at risk in the West, and all these people are sort of waking up and talking about, well, you know, the Christian West is departing from its roots, and, you know, that great quote from Cardinal Sarah that the the tree that's connected from its roots will wither. Well, yes, it's true, but the reason, remember, that someone like Cardinal Ratzinger, Joseph Ratzinger, then Father Joseph Ratzinger, was famous— it was because in the 1950s, he wrote an essay on the failure of catechesis, hmm. and that there really was a crisis of knowledge of the faith, a crisis of basic Christian teaching, not just doctrine, but also the worldview and the culture that surrounds it. And he wrote that in the 50s. Hmm. It's what got him kind of noticed and what gave him a, a role in the Second Vatican Council. But that was In the fifties. What was the title of that? I really don't remember. It's something like the crisis of catechesis Mm -hmm. or something. Anyway, we could Google it, but it was just an essay that he wrote and we're glad that he wrote it basically. But here is C.S. Lewis in the forties, a time that most people associate, like, can't we go back to the fifties? Can't we go back to the forties? The churches are full. Families are huge. Convents are full. Priesthood is, you know, so many priests everywhere. And now we say, oh, no, you know, there's nobody here. Or, well, what changed between then and now? No, 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 no. I mean, again, like we said in the very first episode, you cannot overstate the impact on a Christian worldview that two world wars will have. Mm. That the kind of the, the centuries-long simmering that led up to that bloody 20th century, beginning really with the Reformation, 500, 400 years before. Then the French Revolution. You have enlightenment stuff in there. You have all this stuff that's really a challenge at one or another of the great pillars of the Christian West, Christian culture. So Christendom, we can say, is dead. And C.S. Lewis knew that. He could see it. So he's teaching at Oxford. He's there during World War II. And he's giving these broadcasts, which then as soon as they were given, they were translated or transcribed, I guess, and released in these sort of pamphlet forms. So the the three kind of pamphlets that are, you know, that form this book, Mere Christianity, one is called The Case for Christianity, one is called Christian Behavior, and one is called Beyond Personality. Mm -hmm. And so depending which publisher you have, the book is still broken up into those three sections. But that's what C.S. Lewis was trying to do. He was trying to present a case for Christianity in a very reasonable way to show that it's not unreasonable to believe in the Christian God. And who is his primary audience there? You can only talk, preachers only talk to themselves and to their own communities. And if other people happen to listen like on the radio, (laughs) then fine. So he's responding to his peers at Oxford who already at Oxford were becoming faithless and who, when he converted to Christianity with the help of of Tolkien and others, they were kind of on his case about it. That's unreasonable. Such a smart person. Why would you do this? Can't you see? Mm. So he's responding to them, the case for Christianity. But then he says, all right, that's the case for Christianity. Take it or leave it. But if you take it, I hope you can see that the Christian life requires us to live a certain way. Mm. That within the Christian worldview, within the Christian case, there is incumbent there a kind of Christian ethics and a Christian morality. A way in which life ought to be lived in terms of our actual everyday behavior, our morality, and in terms of our approach to the world and to our life as it's lived together. Ethics. So, he's saying... Those like he's it's a logical bridge from one to the other. The case for Christianity in general, and then from there, if you say yes to it, then there is a way in which life ought to be lived, a different standard to which we will be held, and it affects every area of life. Everybody thinks that Christianity ha- only has to do with sexual ethics and sexual morality. Well, that's not true, right? It has everything to do with. Yes, marriage and family life, it has everything to do with the way we decide how we'll spend our life, how we'll spend our money, how we'll spend our time, how we'll form relationships, how long certain relationships ought to last, or, or how they're sort of maintained, the way we spend our free time, as we talked about earlier. So there's a lot there. And then that's very self-focused though, isn't it? How do I live? How do I view the world? So the last part of mere Christianity is called beyond personality. And this is where he gets at some of the most fundamental teachings of the New Testament, which he, he kind of argues in a a less direct way than this, but his argument is basically that throughout our time of our mighty robust Christian West, we've lost the essence of the New Testament message, which is basically, as Paul says in Colossians, you're dead. Your fat, relentless ego is dead. And your life is so united now in baptism, it's so united with Christ, that you're dead, and you will appear when Christ, who is your life, appears in glory. Hmm. It's awesome. Or as, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old order has passed away. Behold, the new age has come. This is where
0: Lewis also talks about becoming
1: a, a little Christ, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a totally new creation. That's an, He uses that exact line in Beyond Personality. That's right. That we, could, we have the power, and not just the power, but really it, it's... It's the logical conclusion of Christianity that we Mm -hmm. would become a bunch of little Christs, Christitos. Not that we would become Christ, right? That we we don't become God, but we become like God Mm -hmm. in every way. We become to live the divine life of God. And that is a topic called theosis in the East or deification, divinization in the West. That's something that's so common in the early Christian writings. And then it sort of disappears after a while, Mm. which is really too bad because it is, it's, it's what we're called to become. Mm. So maybe with that, we could, we'll just dig in a little bit to the text itself. Because while we're talking about this, this beyond personality, I just want to read kind of, the, this is the very end of the book. It's the way that he decides to finish his talks And the last chapter, chapter 11 is called the new man or the new men, the new people. So he says, the principle that we were just talking about, that your fat, relentless ego must die, that he was in Christ is a new creation, the old order has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him— and with him
0: everything else thrown in.
1: <laughs> Isn't
0: that amazing? It reminds me a little bit. I think this is like a, a first homily of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Basically, risk everything on Christ. We have this sense that in surrendering to him, we lose something, or in some cases, everything, you know. And I, I do think there's a lot in common between Benedict and Lewis. I think especially when you read something like Deus Caritas S, his first encyclical, so many parallels with the four loves, which we're not going to talk about in this series. But particularly this idea that, in fact, all of us are called to this joyful, redeemed, new life in Christ. It sounds to me so incredibly intuitive. It, It sounds to me like everything the gospel is about, and yet it's so rarely preached, it's so rarely seen. I mean, it's you that, you know, coined the phrase about, you know, being convinced of the resurrection. I'm not remembering the exact phrase, based on how our lives have been resurrected themselves. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That becomes the 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 hallmark apologetic for any Christian to believe in the the death and resurrection of Christ is to have first, well, not to have first, but to have lived it ourselves.
1: Faith in Christ yeah. begins with belief in the resurrection of Christ. Yeah. Life in Christ begins while we are convinced of our own resurrection. Yes, yes. And that such a resurrected life, we don't have to wait until death and the end of the ages when the graves are opened and the dead will rise. But we can begin to live such a resurrected life even now.
0: Mm-hmm
1: even now on this earth, because as that book earlier that I was telling you about Richard Middleton's New Heaven and a New Earth, the whole point of that book is using the New Testament to argue that your new life in Christ will be lived in a new earth. Mm. You will be living your new and resurrected life here, but in in a place where truly the predictions of the prophets are are right have come to fruition that on this mountain, there will be no more death. Mm. On this mountain, there will be no more war. On this mountain, there will be only God, mm. who will be finally all in all as it was intended to be in the garden. Yeah. And that, I think, is something that mere Christianity, you know, mere Christianity, the title itself, is really C.S. Lewis's sense of humor, you know, because his argument is Christianity is anything but mere mm. Anything but mere, if, but if you had to reduce it,
0: what could you reduce it to? And these are the kind of universal principles that unite all of us, hopefully, truly, across every denomination, every expression of Christian faith and culture, right? Right. I mean, the whole opening analogy of the hallway. Right, uh, But yeah. that at a certain point, it is better to go inside any one of the doors than to remain forever in the hallway. Amen. That's what really, I must say, has inspired me down through the years. I mean, I was born and raised Catholic. There's been a deepening of conversion almost every step of the way. But folks that, you know, completely come in to the faith out of nowhere and seek baptism later in life, those who, you know, leave one tradition behind, a Protestant tradition, for example, to become Catholic, really impress me because there's a huge risk there, you know, but I think that's exactly the risk that this book sets the stage for any of us to take, right? Amen. Amen but I do love the fact that there's a common ground. There's a, there's a beginning to the conversation of what it really means to be Christian here. Nobody can really argue with. There's a few other books that are similar too. Have you ever seen N.T. Wright's Simply Christian? Oh yeah. It's, I'm assuming a bit of a spinoff. Yeah. Then there's also Father Longenecker's More Christianity, which I've never touched, but I'm sure is a bit of his own journey towards Rome and towards the, you know, the fullness of the Catholic faith as well. But I don't know how we could look or even understand the last 50 to 70 years of Christian thought without a somewhat consistent, if not constant reference to this book. Even that phrase, the new men," never ceases to captivate. I mean, maybe we'll close this episode with that little paragraph or two where he describes these, these new men. It's one of my favorites. Many of our patrons are obsessed with that phrase. When they they talk about the kind of people they want to be in the world, how they want to not just be, you know, everyday sort of nominal Christians, but they want to be true apostles of culture. That's what they begin to describe is that. that But we have to move away. This is
1: eschatological. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This is not evangelical.
0: Mm, First of all. Tell
1: me more about that. It's eschatological. Eschatology refers to the ultimate things. Sometimes it's the end times, but the ultimate things. So, Life with Christ, becoming a new person, is not about being a better witness of Jesus. Hmm. That's a result of it. Mm-hmm. It's not about being a better disciple. That's a result of it. But unless, uh, unless you are reborn in water and the Holy Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So it's about being a Christian, hmm. not a better Christian, but a Christian in the first place. I like that. To to have this kind of this worldview that I am literally dead in the waters of baptism and I have risen to new life. Are you unaware, says Paul in his snarkiest Southside Irish impression, are you unaware that you who were baptized into Christ were also baptized into his death? Mm. So when you go into the waters of baptism, you die. That death that you're waiting for, it's already happened
0: Mm.
1: long ago for most of us and yet here we are sort of bounced back into a preference for sin and death and why mm. why it's i mean that's the that's the story <laughs> that's the story that's the world that's the culture that's that's any number of things but this deepening conversion is ultimately that it's not about becoming a better christian it's about remembering that you are a christian
0: mm.
1: Confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation, confirmare in Latin means to strengthen. Mm -hmm. So if you ever hear a homily that says, welcome to confirmation, you're going to receive the Spirit today for the first time, I want you to stand up and yell, heresy, heresy, because it's wrong. You receive the Holy Spirit in your baptism. Yeah. So it's not about, anyway, this is something we talked about before, where so much of our life we feel is our manufacturing, our identity, Mm -hmm. our doing this work. And we can even get that way with our spiritual lives. If I just prayed more. If I just was was more chaste, if I just was less slothful, if I if I wasn't so gluttonous, oh, you know, I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. Well, yeah, hey, pal, maybe the problem is you, right? But the problem is not so much that you're so flawed, it's impossible for God to do his work in you. It's that God's already done his work in you, mm-hmm. and you need to go back to what's already living within you. This is why I keep telling people to go back and read Colossians chapter three, which for me... Colossians chapter three is the job description of a disciple. Mm. And if you want to begin to change your life, then dedicate your life to living out the adjectives that Paul gives in Colossians chapter three, because that is what new people in Christ look like. Mm. No longer are you Da da da, da 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 right? No longer are you obsessed with the things of the world. No longer are you impatient and greedy and unkind. No longer are you unchaste in certain ways. Like, no. Now you are filled with grace and with patience and with justice and with fortitude and with, with prudence. And now you're filled with a, the life of Christ. Mm. Anyway, Go read Colossians chapter three. That's all I have to say about that. It's one of my favorites, yeah. But this is the reality why Second Vatican Council said it so well. God, Bez 22. God, in Christ, reveals the human person to him or herself. You want to know who you are? Let Jesus reveal that person to you. So it's not a matter of if I just work harder, then I'll be better. But it's a matter of sitting in quiet, in solitude, in exclusivity with the Lord. No phones, preferably, no distraction, right? Your interior distractions, you'll never get rid of them completely. And in fact, some of them can be a catalyst for prayer, but that's a different topic. But this kind of solitude, this exclusivity with the Lord and say, Jesus, teach me who I am. Jesus, reveal myself to me hmm. Jesus in the scriptures in your church in the sacraments the father has revealed himself fully through you to me so now you reveal me to me because only he was going to reveal us fully to ourselves Amen but that's the work of the Christian life and so Christian behavior is not a matter of pay, pray, and obey I call that the gray way <sighs> And to the gray way of pay, pray, obey, we say no way. <laughs> Just made that up. But we say no way to the gray way of life because we know that in Christ, Christian behavior is not a slave morality, but actually is a life of freedom in the truest sense so that we can live a life that, like the life that Love Good's trying to promote, a life of music and color and art and joy and leisure and dancing and friendship and beer mixed with coffee and ribeye steaks every now and then and watching the sunset with some friends you know these this way of life that's that we're free to experience which i think is why maybe just to round it out i think that this is why the writing of each of the inklings respectively is so good Not all of it's as well-known as Tolkien and and Lewis, obviously, but read from the other inklings, and it's just as good. Because they were able then to come from their work into that place of leisure, to become together who they are already, and then to go from that place, changed, augmented, filed down a bit maybe, Mm -hmm. puffed up a little for sure, in the sense of some true friendly affirmation, and then they go out and do their work. And what has their writing become? Like, what is Narnia? What is Lord of the Rings? It's simply a story explaining what's happened to them. Mm-hmm. That's it. C.S. Lewis is writing about, in mere Christianity, he's writing about someone whom he knows quite well. That's why it's so good and convincing, is because he knows the one that he's writing about. <laughs> Shio Kui Kratidi. What does that mean? That's from the New Testament, but it's also the. Motto of of Cardinal Dulles, Cardinal Avery Dulles, mm-hmm. "Shio Kui krediti, I know the one in whom I have believed," mm-hmm. and that that Cardinal Dulles would say is what made all the difference for him hmm. in his writing and in his thought. So, the the invitation for us through mere Christianity, and this is why no one likes Christianity <laughs> sometimes, even Christians, is because Christianity is not a political worldview; it's not a system of sexual ethics. It's not anything other than a total transformation unto glory, Mm. which requires the giving away of every single thing, every single thing, the good and the bad. And what's good, you'll get back a hundredfold. You won't believe it the way you get it back. And what's bad, you'll never see it again. Amen. Then you'll be free.
0: Amen. And I suppose we can only hope that all of us can be described in the same way that Lewis describes these new men, these Christians, Christians. mere Christians. And I quote, Already the new men are dotted here and there, all over the earth. Some, as I have admitted, are still hardly recognizable, but others can be recognized. Every now and then, one meets them. Their very voices and faces are different from ours. Stronger, quieter, happier, more radiant. They begin where most of us leave off. They are, I say, recognizable, but you must know what to look for. They will not be very much like the idea of religious people, which you have formed from your general reading. They don't draw attention to themselves. You tend to think that you are being kind to them when they are really being kind to you. They love you more than other men do, but they need you less. They will usually seem to have a lot of time and you'll wonder where it comes from. When you have recognized one of them, you will recognize the next one much more easily. In that, to become holy, Is rather like joining a secret society. To put it at the very lowest, it must be great fun. End quote. Hmm. Father Ryan, on that note, we'll sign off with one more week, one more episode in store on our hero, our friend, C.S. Lewis. And uh, we're going to dive into my favorite of all of his books and easily a top five of all time, The Great Divorce. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Beautiful. We'll see you next week. Bye.
1: Ever gets you ready for the crime.
0: You're listening to Me and Eve by Delaney Ramsdale, recorded live at our most recent Fireside Sessions, available exclusively at our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash lovegoodculture. What an amazing conversation yet again with Father Ryan Adorsion. For me, it's it's a little bit like sitting in the classroom, just to sit and ponder and take notes, even just mentally, all the, the beautiful truths that come out of the heart and mind of C.S. Lewis. And Father Ryan is one of those people who, frankly, has an ability to synthesize and bring it all together in a way that has always been really inspiring to me because I've read books. I've thought about these things. Very rarely can I distill them down into a 25, 30-minute conversation. That's what Father Ryan does best, well, among many things that he does well. Next week, we're sitting down with him for the last time to go through The Great Divorce, which is truly a top five favorite book of all time for me. It's the only C.S. Lewis book that I've read three different times, and it is, in my book, one of the finest capturings of what heaven, hell, and purgatory might actually be like. Not necessarily precise in all of its theology, but incredibly enlightening in the way that it depicts some key moments in the lives of souls on their journey through eternity. Really great stuff. Cannot wait for you to join us. Don't forget, we're only gonna be mentioning this for a few more weeks, but we have a massive, massive sale happening right now. Lovegoodculture.com store. Everything must go. These are the best deals ever in Love Good History. And certain things are going to be sold and probably never replenished again, all right? This is an amazing, amazing opportunity as we're getting rid of a lot of our old inventory and putting new things on the shelves. You can get CDs autographed for as little as $5, all right? Vinyl records for as little as $15. Uh, exclusive books that you can't find anywhere else between 5 and $10. Uh, Mason jars, mugs coffee, the list goes on. So anyways, lovegoodculture.com slash stores where you want to be to buy every birthday gift you need for the next few years. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Love Good Podcast. Share this episode link on social media. Leave us a review and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. You'll start enjoying our premium content and seasonal packages that not only raise your standard for music, books, and art, but that also inspire you to evangelize culture through beauty. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.